Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we open your word, God, we recognize that you have authority over our lives. And Lord, we just offer that to you today. We're looking for you to not only encourage us, but Lord, we, we need your instruction. And no matter how long we've known you, we recognize today that we need to, we're learners of your words and ways, and, and we need to hear from you. It's not about the knowledge that we had in the past. It's about having a living relationship with you right now in the present. So I pray for myself, I pray for my family, and I pray for those that are watching this and tuning in live and even watching this later. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that, Lord, in the midst of where we live and what we're walking through right now, that you would show us the way, show us your path. And we believe that your word has a whole lot to say about not only who we are and who you are, but how we are to live in these times. So we pray for fresh revelation, Holy Spirit, be our teacher, be our guide for these next 30, 40 minutes. We thank you for your presence in our lives and during this time in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today we're looking at Joshua chapter 19 and 20. We've been looking at the story of Joshua. I would say the account. It's not a story like a fable. It's just a story that we know is an actual real account. We walked through Deuteronomy. We saw that Moses gave leadership then to Joshua. Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land. They're walking through many, many battles. We believe about 55, maybe maybe even as many as 60 battles in order to dispossess the Canaanites, all of the people that lived in the promised land so that Israel could come back into her promise, knowing that the land now has been divided. And that's actually what we're reading about here in Joshua chapter 19. They've gone through many wars and they've been dispossessing the people of their land, and now they're giving allotment to each tribe of Israel. We walk through how God fulfills his promises yesterday. You might remember that. God spoke long ago that this was the promised land of Israel that he was giving to this nation. And now, after 40 years in the wilderness and several battles as they come into the land, God is, is fulfilling his promise, and that requires our obedience as well, as you can see. But he's fulfilling his promise. He's faithful to his word as the land is now being divided among the tribes of Israel. This is an exciting thing because we recognize that God is faithful to his word. He gives us a promise for a reason, that we would lay hold of what he says, even when it looks, quite frankly, the opposite. And isn't that a good word for us right now? We realize that there are things that do not look like the word of God says. But what we need to know is the reason that we have God's word, the reason that he's given us truth is that truth trumps how we feel, what we're walking through, and even what we see. There's a physical realm and there's a spiritual realm. God gives us faith to believe things on a higher level than what the physical can tell us. In the physical, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean that it isn't real. It's just not as real as what God says. He gives us his promises so we lay hold of them by faith. 
and we continue to pray into, we continue to walk towards, we continue to believe what God has said, even when it doesn't look that way. And that's not blind faith. That's real faith to lay hold of something that is truer, something that is more valuable, something that is more important. It's what many believed in the past when they were traveling and seeking to find new lands. And as they were going over one mountain, they believed that there was something greater on the other side. Well, for us, we actually know there is something greater on the other side of the mountain, which is why we traverse the mountain to begin with. God gave us his word for the reason or for the purpose that we would actually traverse the mountain, go to the other side, realizing, believing, knowing that God himself would be faithful to what he told us that set us out on that journey to begin with. So as we're reading Joshua 19, we realize that this is a continuation of Joshua 18 and 17 and the several chapters before it where the land continues to get divided. Now in Joshua 20, there's something very interesting, which I will bring up. And that's where after the land mostly has been divided, God now wants to make do on his word, which he originally started talking to Moses about. And I believe it's Exodus chapter 21. There were to be cities that were established called cities of refuge. If somebody were to accidentally kill someone, this is not premeditated. This is completely accidental. It's not malicious or any kind of retribution. There's no revenge or avenge that's involved in this murder. Completely, totally accidental. If that were to happen, we know that a person who hears about that, that's related to the person who died, would want to get revenge or retribution by going after the person that had actually slain that, that individual. So there were cities that were established called cities of refuge where these people who had killed someone could go. They would have to go to the gates of the city, as it says here in Joshua chapter 20. They would have to make their case to the elders. And if the elders could determine that this person, in fact, was innocent of any kind of premeditated or capital crime, they could come into that city and they could live there for a period of time. Now, that period of time was designated. We actually read about that in Numbers 35, 9 and also Deuteronomy chapter 4. And this is where they actually designate what cities those cities of refuge are going to be. Now, I just think it's interesting. I wanted to bring up a point about this. <clears throat> this is factual what happened. The historicity of it is this is when they were actually appointing those cities and how th what that would look like during this time. But I think it's actually interesting to look at when Israel was establishing society. That's what they were doing. A lot of the laws in Deuteronomy, even numbers and some sometimes a lot in Exodus, don't make sense to us today. We read that and we go, this doesn't make sense to me. It, 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 well, yeah, we're thousands of years removed or or quite a many, quite a number of years removed from that time. But you have to remember that they were actually establishing society. God was giving them a paradigm and parameters for them to set up a new society where he would be their king. Now they later reject him as their king, which we're going to read about in Samuel, first and second Samuel. But God is establishing something among them. And in this particular instance, here we have an elementary system dealing with capital punishment. God gives them what I would maybe consider a simplistic system. We have a very complex justice system today. Sometimes the rules don't make sense. Sometimes the rules don't actually equal justice. We know that. We've seen that for many, many years in our country and many countries around the world. But what we see in, in this particular passage is God has a way of establishing and setting up um, elementary principles that 
really actually get down to what justice should look like. And this is for capital punishment. This is a way of silencing potential blood feuds among families where there was no premeditated case. And let's just acknowledge this. Bad things happen. Sometimes bad things happen on accident. But that doesn't mean that those accidents don't create family feuds, generational iniquity, and revenge and avenge moments where cycles of sin just continue. God actually had a way of protecting the innocent and and actually distinguishing between those that did something on purpose and those that did, did something maliciously. And he wanted to silence the potential blood feuds and these generational wars that we know occur today. We've seen them throughout history. Those of you that are history buffs, you know this. We have so many videos, documentaries today that actually show us of family feuds throughout the generations, throughout the different times of history where where wars would continue to, to happen to the point where people would forget why they started to begin with. I just think it's fascinating and it's so profound that God has a way of dealing with things justly. And don't you and I long for justice? It is what we long for. And, and really, as we long for justice, we know that there is one who actually performs justice in a way that is perfect. There is only one. Let's acknowledge that today. As we seek justice in our land, as we seek justice in our lives, as we seek justice within our system, within our country, and within our world, we also have to acknowledge the, the tension that we have, is that God's way of establishing justice is just not what we see always today. That longing is inside of us. We certainly want to fight towards a better day. We want to believe that things are possible. Absolutely. But I would just encourage you today that as we seek justice, we also, there's a longing inside of us for a perfect king to rule over us. And as we yield and acknowledge, yield to and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives, we are longing for that place and that time where Jesus himself will rule and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And this is what I long for. It's actually what the apostle Paul spoke about and longed for as well. And so if you, in your Bible, if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter three, we're just going to move right into Philippians three today. There's a lot of encouragement here from the apostle Paul. I want to remind you, the apostle Paul knew the people in the church at Philippi very well. He had helped establish this church. He cared for them very much. Paul's in prison at this time, and he's caring about their well-being. He's heard because he sent his his companion, his friend Epaphroditus, he sent them to the church. Epaphroditus came back to him. Uh, Paul was on house arrest. He was in prison. And he was able to hear from Epaphroditus that there was good in the church at Philippi and there was some difficult things. Part of what was difficult was they had some disputes among them. We're actually going to, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. But there was potential division on the rise and false teachers were entering in to their gatherings and trying to lead them astray. And Paul here actually addresses some of that in Philippians chapter three. And I'm just going to go ahead and read verses um, one through six and comment, and then we'll keep going through it. But here's what it says in Philippians chapter three, verse one through six. Finally, my brother, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. I love that how Paul says, I have no problem reminding you and telling you again things I've already said. It sounds like a good dad, a good mom. We always remind our kids, listen, it shouldn't matter. We should have no problem reminding our kids of things that we need to tell them again and again 
you get what I'm saying. Anyways, verse two, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Now, I just want to acknowledge a couple things that the Apostle Paul is saying here. First, it's very clear. He's, he starts to, he he's actually already referred to this, but now he's concluding some thoughts on those that have entered into the church. And he's telling the people in Philippi to beware of false teachers, false teachers, namely those that we call the Judaizers. The Judaizers are people that are trying to convince both Jew who have now converted to following Christ as the, as the fulfillment of what they understood and knew in the law. It's not to dismiss the law. It's not to put the law down. It's to recognize that the law is perfect and no one could fulfill the righteous requirements of the law except for one man, Christ Jesus. Now, those who ha- are Jewish are Messianic Jews, knowing that Jesus is the Christ, he is the anointed one, and he actually gave his life in our place. It's a substitutionary atonement. He lived a sinless life, and he died in our place. When we receive Christ, we enter into it, we enter into him by faith, and it is imputed to us righteousness that only Jesus lived out. And so those that are now following Jesus are not saying the law doesn't matter, and it doesn't even mean that they're not practicing various aspects of the law, but they realize there are parts of the law, namely sacrificial system and, and other things that were a shadow of what was to come, which is fulfilled in Christ. More to that uh, in Galatians. But needless to say, there are people that are pulling Gentiles and Jews back into observing the law as a way of obtaining salvation. In other words, God is not pleased with you unless, or you're not with him and in him, unless you adhere to the principles of the law, even those principles that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his sinless life and his sacrifice, his once and for all sacrifice. And so these false teachers are very dangerous because they're pulling back people back into not only an observation of things, but actually the salvation that it de- that these things would depend on in their teaching. And they're saying to the Gentiles, if you're not circumcised, which again, is kind of a weird conversation for us to have. We're far removed from that. But if you're not circumcised, then you you literally are not in him, right? You're not following him. And if you're not observing these other practices that are found in Judaism, then you're not in him. First, it started out that they would imply this, and then it got so strong that they would directly just say it. And they were persuading many, many people in that day away from their confidence, which is only found in Christ. And I I want you to think about that for a second. Maybe we don't have as many Judaizers today. Maybe that's not the false teaching that we deal with, but we do deal with teaching that draws people's confidence away from the finished work of Christ trusting in the precious Holy Spirit who writes the law on our hearts after giving us a brand new heart, that we have a brand new born-again nature, the Spirit of God now lives within us, and we're trusting and relying upon 
being led by and living in the spirit as we follow Christ. People that are taking our confidence away from that, they know nothing. This is absolutely the way that Paul would say it. They know nothing and they're as dangerous as it gets. And so when there are people that are making people question what they have in Christ, who Christ is, what Christ has come to do, what he has fulfilled in his death, burial, and resurrection, those people are not to be listened to. They're not to be adhered to. They're not to be listened to. They do not have revelation. And regardless of what the package is, to them it was the Judaizer, to us it can be all kinds of things. I've heard all kinds of teachings in 21 years, and I know you have as well. Teachings continue to come. Whatever the culture is, whatever the time is, whatever it calls for, there is always false teaching because demons are always at work to deceive people through false teaching that leads us astray, that we're not only... um, We're not only dismissing ourselves from following Christ, but now we are deceiving others as well. This is how the spread really works. And so we want to be mindful about this. And Paul certainly was, and he was seeking to help people understand that their confidence must be found in Christ and Christ alone. And then what he does in verse 7 through 11 is he makes a case. Hey, if anybody could say some of this stuff, it would be me. But look at how I'm living. Look, listen to what I am saying. This is so vital. Come back to the confidence that you have in Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue to read because he actually goes on in more principles of how it is that we can stay fixed and focused on following Jesus and away from all the other peripheral things that lead us into destruction or detour us from the focus that we're to have in him. Verse 12, he says, not that I've already um, obtained it. I'm sorry, I'm going to start in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And those things gained to him was his background, his education, his affiliation. He says, those things I have counted a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I mean, he's lost friendships. He's lost his affiliation. He's lost everything. But he said, I count this a privilege for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I might attain the resurrection that is from the dead. Somewhere and somehow through Christ, Paul came to the revelation, the realization that Christ is true righteousness, that what he believed righteousness was and his adherence to the law, he counts it as nothing in the comparison of having found the righteousness that is in Christ that can only be obtained by faith, believing in Christ, Not only that he came, not only that he died and rose again, but that he also imputes, gives to us that righteousness through the Holy Spirit when we give our lives to him. This is what we have in him. This is how the Father sees us. It doesn't mean that we won't sin. It doesn't mean that we won't have things in our life that simply just do not reflect or look like the righteousness that Christ revealed and was an example of when he lived life, as we read about in the Gospels. But it does mean 
that despite what we may have in our lives, as we press on and as we press in, what we actually have as we stand before God the Father is not a record of our rights and wrongs, but we have a record of being in Christ, that his precious blood was and is enough to save us and set us free of that sinful nature that we were to stand before God in. And it is filthy rags. That's that's our righteousness. But we get to stand before the Father in his righteousness. This is what salvation points to. This is what it's all about. Tonight, I'm actually going to talk about this during our Ignite Gathering. I'm going to talk about what actually is the gospel. I think every person has got to be able to explain the gospel and its complexity and its simplicity. The gospel is complex on one on one hand, but it's sim- simple on another. And if all we get is this simplistic view of the gospel, fine, but we have to be able to explain it even simplistically. And so I'm going to explain the complexity of the gospel tonight, and I'm going to explain how you can communicate it in a very simple way to your friends, your family members. I think everybody has got to know. All of our children have to know the gospel. If they come to our church, if they walk through our children's ministry, if they go through our youth groups, and if they sit in our services, if they're part of our small groups, if they go through our classes, no matter who we are, we have to know the gospel. If we're not confident in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what that means for us, we will forever be knocked around by the winds and the waves. And this cannot be. Our confidence cannot be in our best day, in our good day, in our most obedient day. We want to live obedient in Christ. We want to live for him and for him alone. But the truth is, is that when we have days where we allow the flesh to to persist where we allow our thoughts to linger when we when that happens what do we do we turn to Christ the only one that fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law our faith cannot be in our best day our faith cannot be in just having a little bit better time than we did yesterday we've got to have faith in something higher and something greater and that is someone and that is Christ and Christ alone our faith in him is salvation. Our faith in what he's done is salvation. And we stay confident in him and in his finished work for the rest of our life until the day that you and I meet Christ, our Savior and our Lord. I want to encourage you today in confidence. We have to have confidence. The thing that Paul is saying here is that I am not confident in what I once thought I had. I am completely confident in now who I have. This is what our confidence is based on. And this is what Paul wanted to remind the Philippians about. Do not lose track of what your confidence must be in, what your faith must be fixed on. Don't let anybody tell you anything else. They are wrong. It is another gospel. And these people are dangerous and destructive, and they should fear for their very lives. Something that Paul says here is he says, I would count all of this stuff that I once had as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead and the fellowship of his sufferings. Friend, here's what I want to say to us today. There's something sweet about the presence of God in the midst of suffering, the fellowship of his sufferings. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus was born as a child, a vulnerable one in flesh. He left glory. He came. He was conceived through the Virgin Mary of the Holy Spirit as a child, as a baby, he grew up among us as a human being, then filled with the Holy Spirit on mission. He suffered through this life. In 33 years, he went through so much. In just three short years in his ministry, 
He was ridiculed. He was reviled. Here we're talking about the eternal son of God and all of humanity. We've already turned our backs on God. And yet physically, we did it right to his very face. This happened all the way down to his disciples. Jesus suffers through this life, not only just death on a cross, but he suffers his love and his longing for his people, for his creation as he lived among us. And we just couldn't perceive him, didn't receive him, didn't understand him. And this is what he went through. He went through all of this for us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He went through all that he did, not only in his coming, but in his death and his resurrection. He went through all of this because of the joy that was set before him. And I just think it's, it's interesting because when we enter into a life in Christ, and as Paul's encouraging the church that their mission is to make Christ known in the world through the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that is our primary mission in this life because we have eternal life. So this life cannot just be bound up in earthly matters, natural things. Certainly we have to we have to navigate through life. We've got a lot of natural things. There's, there's a lot of, um, I think, maybe right and righteous pleasures that God certainly doesn't despise that we have, but we cannot be bound up in the things of this life solely and completely. We have to realize that we have a heavenly calling. And that's what Paul is trying to establish with those in this church that are being deterred. And we can get distracted. We can become distorted. And he's saying there's something about the fellowship of his sufferings, that when we go through difficult times and we don't understand what's happening, God wants to remind us that there's the sweet presence of the Lord in the midst of suffering. We've got to be reminded of Jesus. Paul actually went through all of these sufferings, many of these sufferings as well, and he did it for a reason. It was attached to purpose. I would suffer for the sake of Christ, not only knowing him, but co-laboring with him. Are we willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? Maybe our suffering will be less, or maybe it will be more than what we read about in the life of the Apostle Paul. But are we willing to go through whatever is necessary in order to make Jesus known and to walk in him in the pleasure of the Father, in giving our lives as an offering and as a sacrifice in like kind? Not, not that our life would be a sacrifice that all men would be saved, but that we would also play a role in following our Savior. That as we give our time, as we give our talent, as we give our treasure to make Jesus known, that it actually reflects the one whose message that we carry to the world that can actually make our hearts right before God. It restores us with our Heavenly Father, for which we were actually created and intended. There's just something sweet. Have you ever discipled someone and you found that they walked away and they went astray and you were discouraged, you were disappointed? I sure have. I've, I've just tried to disciple people. And just as Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, he said, go and make disciples, baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you and I'm with you until the end of the age. I've sought to do that. And there are times where it hasn't worked out. And something I have found is the presence of God is so powerful, is so amazing in the midst of even me seeing people walk away. Paul saw that. Jesus certainly saw that. What can we be sure of in those times that we can have the fellowship of his sufferings? That even when we go through difficulty, if we know that our life is on mission with Jesus, it's not bound up in every other thing. We might be involved in the affairs of this life, but it is not bound up. And the purpose of our life is not found in simply the matters of this world, but we have a higher purpose and a higher calling. In that place, 
we experience the presence of Jesus in such a unique way. Sometimes we think, and when we're in worship services, uh, we just get the glory bumps, we get the goosebumps, we go, oh, this, this is the presence, this is the presence of God. Let me, let me tell you something. If we want the presence of the Lord, it's going to be found in being on mission with Jesus. And it's not always going to work out. And even when things don't go the way that we're praying, the way that we're desiring, the way that even we see the word of God says, what we know in the middle of that, in that suffering that we experience, there is a fellowship with him that cannot be denied. If we look up, instead of just look to our discouragement, our disillusionment, if we look up and we reach up into him, we will find something in that place of suffering that I just don't think we can find anywhere else. Anywhere else. Didn't Jesus say, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I commanded. And then he said, and I'm with you until the end of the age. If we really want the presence of God, not just the glory bumps when we're singing a song, but if we're living the life that God has called us to live, he says, I am with you in this mission till the end of the age. You're going to seek to make disciples. You're going to seek to teach people about Jesus and his word and his ways. And you're going to find that it's difficult. You're going to find that you're traversing these uncharted territories. And there are things that you cannot learn unless you do it. There are things that you will not experience unless you simply follow the words and the ways of Christ. There are some things that we're longing for in our hearts that we will never have unless we enter into the words of Jesus. And Paul is encouraging the church and he's saying, look, when you hit these places, when you have suffering, when you have people in your midst that are trying to deter you, when you need to discern through and pray through and walk through things, do not be discouraged. Look up press in. There's something that God has for you, and it's the fellowship of his sufferings. You're in the right place at the right time. Be in the center of God's will, knowing that you're seeking to do God's work. Well, Paul goes on, doesn't he, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. I'm getting passionate. I'm getting passionate. Why? Because we're reading the word of God today. Amen and amen. Well, let's go, let's go ahead and go on today. Verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but listen, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect or mature would be the word, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a, if, if any, if, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal also to you. However, let us keep living at the same standard to which we have obtained. Here it is. He's talking about discouragement. He's, he's giving encouragement. He's telling them there's something powerful that they can have in the moment that they're in. And then he gives them the way that he has found it. He gives them the key. He gives them understanding. He reminds them of what they need to be focused on. And I simply want to give those things to you. These, this is what I wrote to encourage my heart today. And it's what I'm going to end with as, as we close our time. He says this, if we're going to press in and we're going to press on, if we're going to find the presence of God in the midst of where we are, there's some things that we need, that we need to do. Number one, we need to forget what is behind. This is what Paul tells them. One thing I do, he says, I forget what, what is behind. This is what we've got to remember today, that we have regrets. There are things that we didn't do that we should have done. 
there are things that we did do, right, that we should not have done. So both of those can be very true. And the power of regret can actually lock us up. It can shackle us right where we are today. We've got to break off those shackles. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect one. Jesus paid a price for our righteousness. And our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in Christ, which means that his mercy is new today. Every day that we wake up, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118 verse 24. We've got to remember that today is the day he made and he did not make it for us to wallow around in what yesterday was. Yesterday, we may not have walked the way that we should have. We may done, we may have done things we shouldn't have. And we may have not obeyed God the way we should have. The fact is we have today and we cannot waste today and all that it could be in the regret of yesterday. He says, this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. And you might say to me, Ben, I don't know how to forget. I've got some things in my life that I can't forget. I don't know how to let go of them. Well, then he tells us exactly how we can do that. And this is not a sermon. This is actually the advice, the counsel, the wisdom that he gives inspired of the Holy Spirit. He says, this one thing I do, I press on to what is ahead. He is focused on, once again, reminding us of, reminding them of the mission of Christ that we are engaged with in him. Jesus saved us, set set us apart, consecrated us, gifted us, filled us with the Holy Spirit. And now we are sitting here with all that he has given to us, and we cannot do that with regret. He says, I press on to the calling, this this high calling for for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of on my behalf. So why would I allow myself to be caught in yesterday? I've got to press in. Jesus paid a high price for my life. And although I have not lived it the way that I wanted to, and I have not done everything that I should have. I have got to, in, in respect of his sacrifice, in honoring of what Jesus has done, in my fi- in having faith in all that he can accomplish in and through, yeah, my own life, I've got to press on and reach up higher. The way that I forget what is behind is that I consume myself with what is ahead. I consume myself with knowing that God can use my life. I consume myself with the word of God being true instead of my feelings, my circumstance, and my past. I consume myself knowing that no matter where I've been, today is a new day. And I can serve God and I can serve people in such a way that will reveal the presence and the power of God in the world that I live in. Maybe yesterday we were crusty religious people. You know what crusty is, right? Crusty is those things that are in your eyes when you wake up in the morning, okay? The only thing that we want for those is to get out of our eyes. Maybe that's what we have to discard, some crusty, religious, bitter, unforgiving, offended personality. If that's what we were, it is not who we have to be. Maybe we've been wounded and offended and affected by other people. And we have allowed that pain and that power to be the voice of God in our lives. It has got to be behind us. And the way that it is, is when we press on and press into him, he is our example. He is the voice that we listen to. We follow his word. Paul had to encourage the church again and again and again. Why? Because we get discouraged. We allow the things of this life. We allow the pain 
and the power of what happens to us, even sometimes the wounds that have gone on in, in our life, the things that have been done to us, we allow those things to tell us who we are. We allow those things to keep us where we are. And Paul's like, no, whether we want to trust in the accomplishments of the past or we want to live by the regret of the past, either way, none of it makes sense when you are yoked to Christ, when you are so found in him, when you are connected to him, shackle yourself to Christ, the person and the power and the example of Jesus and be shackled by nothing else, no other handcuffs, no other shackles, but we shackle ourselves as a bondservant to Jesus Christ, that where he goes, we go, what he says, we hear, we follow in his footsteps. So there's one more thing that he says that I think, actually two more things that he says that I wrote down. The third one is we need to honor the right examples. Did you catch what he said here in Philippians chapter three? You may have read this, you might've missed this, but as I was thinking about this, he goes, verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. He says, remember my example and what I showed you. He's not saying he's perfect, but he's saying that he's continuing to press on. He's continuing to press in. He's experienced incredible hardship. So he's saying my example of going through pain, of going through difficulty, but doing it for a higher purpose. I'm willing to go through anything for Christ. He he reflects first on Jesus, and then he says, look at my example. And then he says, pay attention to the people that have an example that you need to follow. See, one of the ways that we get deceived is by believing the words of people that do not have the life to match it. There are a lot of eloquent speakers. There are a lot of people that say this, and they say that, and they deceive people. We cannot be mesmerized by words. We have to look at the example of men and women. People are not perfect, but do they press on? People are not perfect, but do we see them doing what they are saying? Does it look like Jesus? One of the things that I think that we can get deceived by in our culture is that in a, in a climate and in this, in this world of social media and, and YouTube and, and all of that and, and censorship aside, we can be mesmerized by the words and the videos and the clips and all that of all these people. And, and, and we propagate it. We actually perpetuate it. We share it and we send it and all of that. But what about the lives of people around us that are just simply doing the work of God? I am constantly amazed. I am amazed at how people will listen to somebody on the, on the internet, not even know their life and say, oh man, you've got to watch this person. You don't even know if they're a charlatan. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to go back to recognizing the spirit of God in men and women, both young and old, knowing that we've got to follow the example of people, not merely the words of people. The words might sound right, but what does their life look like? When people's lives are not transformed by the very message that they are sharing, something is fundamentally wrong. And those same people, whether it's you, me, or anybody else, can lead people astray because if we're following something other than the Lord Jesus, and as we follow him, we have to have humble hearts. 
We have to have a heart that is just crushed and wanting more of him, pressing on, pressing into him, recognizing that he is the example. It's his righteousness and talking like that, making sure that he's the centrality of Christianity, not us, not what we look like, not not how we're known, not what people just see in us, but our example is one that is following his example and that we constantly pressing on. We're constantly pointing to him. He's saying honor the examples. This is a massive key in our development. Don't just go looking for voices. Look for examples. Look for examples. That's what Paul says. He says, walk according to the pattern. Look for those people that walk according to the pattern that you have in us. We we can't know that by mere words. And the last thing he says is stay focused on heaven's values. Listen to this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he is even subject to all things to himself. What are we talking about right now? Our citizenship is found in heaven where we await the Lord Jesus Christ. In this world, we continue to make him known. In this world, we We continue to share good news as we do good works, revealing a good God who sent his Savior, Jesus Christ, to the world that we would follow him, look like him, and preach him to the world around us, that our life would be shackled to him in every way, bondservants, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. And for such a time as this, you and I have a great opportunity right now. And it's not to get on the bandwagon. It's not to get on our soapbox. It's to get and stand on the word of God, loving people as we do it. Listen, this is what it's all about, that we have a heavenly home. Our citizenship, our first citizenship, ladies and gentlemen, is not America. It is heaven. You know this and I know this. It doesn't mean that we don't love our nation. It doesn't mean that we don't love the nations of the world. It means that our first citizenship and our first allegiance has always got to be to him and to his kingdom. And I think that we miss that. I think actually right now is a great big revelation of often what we are missing. We've got to be so careful right now that we are not preaching the wrong thing at the wrong time. There are lost people in this world and they are looking at Christians and they are wondering what we're going to say, what we're going to do, and what we mean as we do. Are we revealing a loving Savior that died for humanity? that died for every person of every nation that that has any language, that lives in every different culture, that lives in every nation. When he says, go make disciples of all nations, what 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 is our allegiance right now? You say, Ben, well, that sounds really not very patriotic as an American. You don't, you don't sound very thankful for the people that lost their lives so that you could have this freedom. Listen, I, I love our country. I'm grateful for what we have. But I'll tell you this, my life, Ladies and gentlemen, our lives, if you're a Christian, is bound up and is found and grounded in the one man who gave his life so that all men and women could be reconciled to their heavenly father. I'm not ashamed of that. It does not mean that I don't care about other things, but it means that everything is lesser than the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And I'm not going to stop preaching that. I'm going to preach that. And if it sounds to some that I'm not as patriotic as them, fine, fine, so be it. But I would rather stand before God in the citizenship that I have that, that was given to me by him, that I have it by faith in Christ, and be totally found 
as a faithful servant, trustworthy of what he would give me in this life, that whatever nation or country I live in, that I would use whatever freedom I have, whether I'm free in that world to roam about or not, to preach the gospel of Jesus. The, God, the word of God is not bound by any nation, by any language, by any restriction. It is bound by the thinking that we have. And I'm just encouraging you to put your first and foremost allegiance in him. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I mean no disrespect by that. I just mean all respect to Jesus Christ. That's what I mean. That's exactly what we're talking about. And that's what Paul, he gave, He look what he did. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. He was rejected by his own people among his own nation, primarily because he yoked himself so strongly to Christ that people misunderstood him. People threw him away. He was, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was misunderstood. He was ridiculed. He gave that up. And that's literally what he says. He says, I've counted all of that rubbish. All of that I've counted as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he closes this chapter saying our citizenship is in heaven. I don't think that's a mistake that we're reading that today. I really don't. And there are a lot of, ah, oh, Ben, but no, look what, look what he gave his life for. He said, follow the example that you have seen in us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. I pray that we reflect on these words today, but not in a way that's convenient and comfortable, in a way that is true and sacrificial. Just as the words were written, may we read them and may we heed them in Jesus' mighty name. Will you pray with me today as we seek the Lord, especially in our times? I'm mindful of everybody today that is we have first responders, we have hospital care workers, we have doctors, we have people that are suffering. We have people that are suffering not only from COVID-19, but many who have cancer and illness and disease and sickness. There's fear, there's panic, there's anxiety today. I believe that regardless in death and in life, the remedy, the answer, the cure is always found in Jesus Christ. That's how we pray. I want to encourage you down that road today. So let's go ahead and pray as we're mindful of everyone around us. I'm mindful of you. And I'm appreciative that you would join me in this today. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. We recognize that you are the savior of the world and that you are drawing all men and women to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for your death, burial, resurrection. We thank you that in the cause of Christ, we too can make known the beautiful message of Jesus Christ to people that have yet to know you, have yet to walk with you. And we ask, Lord, even today, God, we pray that you would move powerfully among us. God, we just pray that the words that we have read would be true in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing. We ask that you would bless and strengthen the medical care workers, the first responders, the chaplains, the people that are on the front lines, all the pastors and leaders, all the people that are rolling their sleeves up, getting dirty right now. God, we pray that you would diminish fear, anxiety, those things that sometimes we subject ourselves to. Sometimes they come. We didn't welcome them or invite them, but they happen. We just acknowledge those things before you, and we ask that you would exchange them for your peace. I pray, God, for everybody that's tuning in, that's listening right now. I pray, God, for your strength. I pray that you would help us to continue to be the bright and burning lamps that you've called us to be in this life. And so we bless your holy name, and we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.